Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So friends, one of the things I've found over the years of praying with the scriptures and spending time meditating in the word is that some of the most powerful words in a particular text are often the ones that are easiest to overlook, the ones that are easiest to miss, just seemingly innocuous words. For example, the word in, two letters, I-N, the word in. Here's what I mean. Jesus says things like, remain in me as I remain in you, or we, meaning him and his Father and the Holy Spirit, we will come to you and make our dwelling in you, or I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. Now look, if you, took, if you took just those two letters, that one word in, and you took it to prayer, I mean, I'm telling you, you'd have enough to meditate on for the rest of your life. Like that is unbelievably staggeringly good news, what he's communicating in that word in. Another one of those two-letter words that just, if you let it really kind of, I don't know, sit in front of you, it, it will bolt, it'll, it'll knock you over, is the word as. We hear it as in the gospel that we have today. You hear as all the time in the scriptures. It shows up all over the place. Jesus saying things like, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or be merciful even as your Father is merciful. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another, love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's a very powerful word. It's an extraordinarily powerful word. What he's communicating in this as, in the gospel that we have, the as, I have to be very careful how I'm saying that. You, okay, the as comes at the end of the parable, right? They got, you've got the king who's settling accounts and he's confronting now the servant. Who, even though he himself was forgiven an extraordinarily huge amount as the gospel relates, he refused to show mercy to his fellow servant and the king says, should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? The English translation that we get in the lectionary, especially with the gospel here, it's, well, to put it just bluntly, it's a very bad translation, right? Nobody consulted me, but I will judge them and say it's a very bad translation. Because what Jesus says in the Greek here, it's not just simply a huge amount. The actual literal Greek is 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is the huge amount that this person owes, this servant owed the king. And we think, gee golly, what's a talent? Because we don't know what a talent is. So what's a talent? A talent was the largest unit of currency at the time of Jesus. The largest possible unit of currency imaginable at the time of Jesus. It was equivalent to approximately 27 years of a day laborer's wage. One talent is 27 years of a day laborer's wage. And although this is going to sound very odd, the number 10,000 was the largest number conceivable at the time of Jesus. I know that sounds really weird, but it's just true. Read the records, read the extra-biblical literature, that's just true. They couldn't really conceive of something higher than 10,000, really. So in other words, this man owed the largest possible sum imaginable, equivalent roughly to 273,000 years' wages. 
273,000 years. Do I hear some oohs? Do I hear some ahs? That's an extraordinary amount. Okay, I just want to make sure you're with me. I know it's 5 p.m. Saturday night. The idea, of course, here is that, no, you can't even in principle pay this back. So when this guy says, be patient with me, it's like, no, man. Are you kidding me? No, you cannot pay this back. You're not going to live 273,000 years. Give me time. I'll pay you back. The point is you can't. You've incurred a debt that you cannot pay back. I cannot possibly pay this back. And by the way, who is this man? That's you. That's me. That's who's featured in this gospel. You are who, are, you are who this gospel is about. I'm who this gospel is about. I cannot possibly repay what God has done for me in Jesus. Jesus who has taken on flesh, even though he didn't have to, that he's went to war against the enemy that took us captive, even though he didn't have to, that he fought on behalf of us, a rebellious race that said no to him, even though he didn't have to. He invaded hell, death's fortress, liberating us from the grip of the tyrant, even though he didn't have to. That he took on flesh to suffer as his own, the consequences of our own rebellion, even though he did not have to. That though he was in the form of God, Jesus deemed equality with God not something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself, Paul says in Philippians. Taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, And he suffered death, even death on a cross, even though he did not have to. That Jesus on the cross, he's making atonement for you and me. He's canceling our sin. He's canceling the debt that we owed. He's canceling it. He's nailing it to the cross. And it costs him his life. It's costing him his life. And then this man, right, this man, he runs into someone who owes him The text says, the gospel says, a, quote, much smaller amount. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it really says. The actual Greek is a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. What's that? That's a hundred days wage, a hundred days pay. That's not the same amount. That's three months It's not the same thing as 273,000 years. And this guy, he refuses to do for this man what his master did for him. He refuses to forgive him what he owes him. He refuses to show him any mercy. And the king finds out because the servants are disturbed by this. And they report the affair to the king. And he says, I forgave you your entire debt. Should you not have emulated me? Should you you not have have entered into this pattern of forgiveness and done for him what I did for you? Should you not have done that? The point is clear, right? The point is clear. Have people hurt me? Yes. Have people hurt you, wronged you? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes in egregious ways unbelievable ways. Like as a priest, I I have the incredible privilege of hearing hearts all the time. Hearing people share their stories, your stories all the time. And there are things that, that you have suffered, unimaginable things that were done to you, unimaginable betrayals, unimaginable abuse, unimaginable hurt. And you just carry it. You 
Like, I don't know how you, some of you get up in the morning with some of the things that have happened to you. And yet you do. Like, these are real pains, real wounds, real trauma, real betrayal, real suffering. And what Jesus is saying is not, hey, that stuff that you suffered, it's nothing. Try being crucified. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. No, what he's saying to us in this gospel is that what God has forgiven you is greater than anything you might forgive another person for. Like you're the recipient of a forgiveness that's unimaginably greater than what anything that you might be owed by another person. That you and I, we received an extraordinary mercy and unless I show, unless I enter into that same pattern of showing mercy and giving mercy to the one who especially has hurt me, it will not end well for me on that very real day when I will stand before Jesus. But here's where I just, I want to press in a little bit further. Because like, how, right? Like seriously, how is the question. And what does it mean to say that I've forgiven someone who's hurt me deeply? Let me first say a word about that second question, about what forgiveness is not. It's not forgetting. It's not just simply washing my hands of the thing and saying, well, that doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's saying, I release you from the debt. You don't owe me anything. I don't hold anything against you anymore. As to the how, I want to turn our attention to two paragraphs from the Catechism that are extraordinarily beautiful. 2842 and 2843. If you want to look at those again later after Mass. 2842 and 2843. Listen to this. Catechism teaches, the church teaches, quote, it is impossible to keep the Lord's commandment on forgiveness by imitating the divine model from the outside. It's impossible to just do it merely from the outside because Christianity is not merely a matter of copying Jesus' behavior because it's not merely a program of behavior modification. That's not what this is. It is an invitation to be transformed from the inside. We are not, as Martin Luther said, we're not just snow-covered dung heaps. We are compost piles ripe for transformation. Like, it's a true transformation in the depth of your being. It's becoming something new, as St. Paul says, a new creation. So the catechism continues. It says it's impossible. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart in the holiness and the mercy and the love of our God. Vital participation. What does that mean? It means like the living, actual, like alive, coming from your heart reality, letting the living Jesus the one who I said a moment ago conquered sin and death, the one who rose victorious from hell, the living Jesus, letting that Jesus actually encounter and engage and admonish and console your actual heart where you carry actual memories of pain, actual traumas, actual wounds. It's the same thing I preach every single week, I feel like. It's the one drum I beat. (laughs) Every priest, they say, has one homily, and this is my one homily. You have to let him in to the depths. We have to let him engage us at our depths. Next paragraph, 2843. Thus the Lord's words on forgiveness become a living reality. 
the parable of the merciless servant, which crowns the Lord's teaching on ecclesial communion, ends with these words, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It is there, the Catechism teaches, in fact, in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed. Again, in the depths of your heart. Does Jesus have access to the depth of your heart? The Catechism continues. And this, this next part is so powerful. So if you've drifted off, come on back. This is really good stuff, all right? Okay. Especially for us who've been deeply, deeply hurt by somebody. Catechism says, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. That is not what forgiveness necessitates. And that, I feel like, is amazing news. You don't have to get new feelings. It's not even in your power to feel or forget the offense. Back to the catechism. But the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. How does the heart offer itself to the Holy Spirit in one fell swoop by praying the right novena? Just kidding, just kidding, making sure you're still paying attention. It's not a once-and-done reality. It's a slow, progressive, unfolding over time, deep in prayer kind of reality, in deep, honest vulnerability in prayer, in deep, yes, deep, honest vulnerability in confession over and over and over again, opening those places, those memories, those hurts to the light of the Holy Spirit, the merciful love of Jesus. Because that's not just simply the sacrament of guilt forgiveness. It's the sacrament of healing where deep, painful things are healed. It's where painful tumors get slowly shrunk over time. That's how healing happens, over time, slowly. And then in this kind of alchemy that only God understands, he actually turns hurt, deep hurt, into compassion, and then compassion turns into intercession, like where we are now begging God's mercy and grace to penetrate the heart and mind of the person who has hurt me, that I now have compassionate eyes upon the person who's hurt me. Lord, heal them, that they would also be in glory with me. He does something that seems impossible. He does something that seems impossible. So friends, here's the question. Who is the servant who owes you a hundred denarii? I've got a bunch in my mind right now. You too, you probably do as well. These people, these memories, these hurts, they need to all be opened up to the light, to the love of Jesus. Open it up to him. If you're looking for a first step, I invite you to do this. In your imagination, which is not fantasy, it's the place that God has given us to be the, the interplay between the Holy Spirit and our humanity. So in your imagination, in prayer, bring yourself to Calvary where it's just you at the foot of the cross looking up at Jesus. And in your imagination, I want you to see Jesus not looking at you, but I want you to see Jesus. What are in his eyes as he looks upon another person who's also there at the foot of the cross with you? It's the person who hurt you the most. How does he look at them? 
begin there. That deep, vital participation. That's where the transformation begins.